welcome to Get Up Speak Up, the brand new sports debate podcast. Um, today I'm joined in the studio by Harry Robinson, who is host of the United Through Time and United Weekly Pod podcasts and writer for United in Focus and United We Stand, the United We Stand magazine. Um, thanks, so, thanks so much for coming on, Harry. No worries, pleasure. Um, as can be easily inferred by the litany of titles to his name there, Harry's very qualified to talk about football, particularly Man United. Um, so even though Get Up Speak Up will usually encompass American football and basketball, this episode will centre around football because um, we'd be unwise not to make use of the, the expertise in the studio uh, this afternoon. So first, we're going to talk about Jose Mourinho to Tottenham. Never thought I'd say those words. <laughs> Then we'll move over to Ole's United. What's the implications of Poch becoming available? Then we're going to talk a bit about academies and whether an academy-driven team can compete with the likes of City who dominate the transfer window. Um, transition over to Unai Emery and the perpetual question marks over his tenure at the Emirates before rounding up with a run-through of Brendan Rodgers and the fantastic work he's doing in the Midlands. Um, so Jose Mourinho, there's never really any other place to start. So either you love him or hate him, but I think uh, at Tottenham we need some trophies. With the situation we've got at the moment, with the squad we've got, I think he's definitely the best appointment, the best to get something out of them. What's your first thoughts on the appointment, Harry? It's a, it's a surprise. Even even when it was reported, even when Pochettino was sacked, and kind of, I think it was only about 12 hours between Pochettino sacking and and Mourinho's arrival but even in that time where people say Mourinho's coming in I, I didn't really believe it no um, I didn't think Daniel Levy could pull it off I didn't think <laughs> I, I was picturing a room of, of Daniel Levy and Jose Mourinho sitting there next to each other no. trying to discuss what their plans for the future would be and I couldn't see that quite being compatible no. obviously uh, it'd be interesting come the summer been. how those conversations go down yeah we'll, we'll see I'm sure Mourinho must have, have received certain promises about uh, yeah. the, the money that he'll be receiving and the, the support he'll be receiving in the transfer market but at the same time he's he's claiming that he, he's changed his football philosophy very slightly yeah. I, w I wouldn't be that surprised the interesting thing with Mourinho is and this is a point he made at, uh, at United once I think in his second year when he was under pressure at, at various points he said that all the all the successful teams he's managed have been so different. So the Real Madrid counter-attacking team of of Ronaldo, a young Benzema, um, Modric, etc., with Ramos at the back. And before that, you had the Inter team with a low defensive block of Milito at the front and their ridiculous lineup of defenders like yeah. Walter Samuel and, and others. Yeah. Um, and the the first Chelsea team and the first Porto team were so different to that. Chelsea's team was incredibly attacking, really strong defence. But then you had the attack of of Drogba. Um, and a few other people coming in and out of that side with Lampard scoring from midfield. So his point in that press conference while he was at United was you, you can claim that Jose Mourinho has a certain playing style of, of being defensive and not being attacking, but really that kind of comes from a solid defence, but every success he's had has been founded upon a different style of play. So if he goes into Tottenham now and starts to implement something different to what we expect from Mourinho, I wouldn't be that surprised saying that he does tend to be a little predictable in, in terms of what yeah. he does at football clubs. Yeah. Um, Haller the third season. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was You touched on it quickly, though. It was kind of a weird appointment because, I mean, I follow football about as much as is humanly possible. And the first <laughs> thing I saw was Mourinho, new manager, before I saw Pochettino, because yeah. sometimes my Twitter feed order yeah. is just messed up. And I saw that first. So it was literally 6 a.m. after the firing of Pochettino, which means Daniel Levy lined him up while Pochettino was still 
at uh, officially manager of Tottenham. What yeah. do you think about that? What, do you think that's disrespectful? No, not really. You I don't? think no. Because Pochettino I, has made them serious. Pochettino took them to a Champions League final yeah. on limited budgets, and you line up his replacement while he's still there. I think it's a inevitability of of football of managing a football club. Now, I I don't think they should have sacked Pochettino. I think this was the this is a manager that it, the the thing about Mourinho going to Spurs is it shows just how much Pochettino has done for them because for yes, Mourinho yes. to go to a football club who are now sitting 10th, but I think when he came in were 14th before yeah. that win. So for Mourinho to go to a football club who were 14th in the Premier League, haven't won a trophy for 20, 30 years, yeah. um, and for this double treble winner, Jose Mourinho, to, to go and manage that football club shows that they must now be a big club. Now they're not United or Liverpool, but they are at the same level currently as yes. Arsenal, at the same level as Chelsea maybe. Yeah. And when you go around the kind of dodgy football shirt markets of, of various cities around the world, the shirts you now see... Cause I was, the ultimate measure of the size of a football club. Yeah, but I, I remember I was, in, um, I was in Brazil last summer during just after the Champions League right. final. And I was, I'm a United fan, so I was looking for uh, a fake new Manchester United shirt of this season for, I don't know, whatever... Um, five quid or something. Yeah. Only shirts were on, on offer. There were uh, kind of a few terrible United ones hidden in the back, but the only shirts on offer at the front were Tottenham Hotspur and Liverpool. Mm. And that shows the impact of, of what a Champions League final does, but also of what Mauricio Pochettino has done. No, that's an excellent point, and I completely take that. Um, I completely take that. Now, what is interesting is there's a lot of talk about this being a kind of timely marriage of convenience rather than a good yeah. fit. Just to throw a stat at you though, Tottenham are bottom of the league, the least clean sheets um, this season. They've only yeah. had one clean sheet this season that's the worst in the Premier League. Um, Mourinho, we, we've talked about it, we know how much he thinks about his opponents in the in the tactical side of um, uh, preparing for a match. Do you think, which lends itself to a more you know, so-called defensive style of yeah. play, although he'd um, argued the toss over that, do you think it is a good fit in itself? Um, not do you think it's better than Potts, you said you wouldn't have fired him, but do you think Mourinho is a good fit for this Tottenham squad? I think in terms of squad, you've got some very Mourinho players there. Um, firstly, Harry Kane, I think, had Mourinho not come in and Pochettino gone, a lot of the reason for Harry Kane staying at Spurs has been Pochettino. And right. that's the same with Dele Alli, same with Eriksen, um, same with Lamella and a, and a few others, to be fair. I think if it had been another manager, not Mourinho coming in, I think Kane leaving would kind of be an inevitability next summer. I think with Mourinho coming in, I'm not sure. He, he still might leave, but I think he'll probably stay because most players, no matter how many people say Mourinho's horrible, Mourinho mistreats his players, most players love working under him yeah. for at least a certain amount of time until they fall out with him after about two years. So I think Harry Kane is, is a, a ridiculously good goal scorer. Um, got two in the Champions League a, a couple of days before we were recording this yeah. and just for the last four years has been He's insane. relentless. He's so absolutely relentless. A relentless striker like that, you put that at the front of any team and that's perfect for Mourinho. Mourinho's had Zlatan Ibrahimovic at, at Manchester United and, and Inter Milan. Um Melito, Drogba, yeah, Melito, Drogba, yeah. Ronaldo, Benzema. They, those are the kind of players that because Lukaku, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Rashford. Um, <laughs> but the the best Mourinho teams have have kind of 
relied upon individual brilliance and we certainly saw that United is that every good attack had to come from a, a piece of brilliance from, from Pogba, Martial, Zlatan, Rashford, whoever it was because he wasn't really training the attacking players. So to have someone like Kane at the front is massive and then you've also got really kind of archetypal Mourinho players Harry Kane, the proven goal scorer, who even when Spurs are playing badly and even when they're not being trained to, to be an attacking side, because Mourinho at the moment will be focusing on improving the defensive solidity of Spurs. So you've, you've certainly got some players in that Spurs squad who are perfect for Mourinho. What I find particularly compelling, um, just before we move on, in the, the Mourinho-Tottenham kind of um, marriage is that it feels like something's going to have to give Mourinho the yeah. serial winner who wins everywhere he goes versus Tottenham the perpetual nearly men who the always tend to choke at the last minute they are absolute opposites in that regard and it's going to be really really interesting to see which one of those two kind of defining characteristics change because yeah. one was going to have to he's either not going to win anything or Tottenham are finally going to get a trophy yeah, I think Spurs will get a trophy. You think? Okay, Spurs because will get a trophy. Mourinho came to United and and we we had a brilliant first season. We won the Europa League, we won the League Cup. Did we or did Mourinho make that a brilliant season through his constant kind of propaganda of trophy winning? Really, are we happy with Europa League and League Cup and sixth? We're not happy with it, but I was at Wembley for the League Cup final and I remember oh, I falling remember up my seat yeah, when Zlatan yeah, yeah, scored the late yeah. header. So those are the kind of... those are. That's what makes you kind of fall in love with football is those no. moments more than finishing in the top four. No, you're right. You're right. That's definitely true. Um, now, Ole's United, something which we could talk about all day, I'm sure. United turn the tide. Manchester United ghost in and a shot. And Marcus Rashford has fired the ball into the back of the net. Manchester United have turned this game around. Sheffield United were leading by two goals to nil. Mike Riddle through here to Callum Robinson. Ball stabbed to McBurney! Um, yeah. 3-3 on the weekend uh, in, against Sheffield United absolutely dead in the water for 70 minutes three goals in seven minutes which no team has done at Bramall Lane the whole season to score three goals and then couldn't quite <laughs> hold on again leaving that bad taste in the mouth and it was very kind of reminiscent of a couple of weeks ago when we got a couple of wins on the bounce yeah. everything was um, looking good um, and then the loss to Bournemouth, Bournemouth again, yeah. just like, an, he, Ole can't quite get it rolling properly. Yeah. What did you make of the uh, performance on the weekend? It was uh, it was mayhem. Um, it, was an, it was another game I was at that was just completely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and Bramall Lane is, is such a difficult place to go this season. and, and it's They're doing very well. They're, they're doing so well and they're, they're a really good football team. Um, and they have that benefit of, and I think we've actually seen it maybe more. I think because of the general decrease in in the volume of football stadiums over the last ten years, when when a team comes up from the championship and has a really solid hardcore support that goes around quite a not a small stadium but a stadium which is close to the pitch. So Sheffield United and and particularly this season is that they're. The atmosphere, that ground. Once they get their first goal, which they have been doing quite a lot this season, it's just it it kind of it, it sucks you up into it. Um, it's so loud, it's so relentless until United got one back, um, and then the the kind of momentum changed. And so it, it's a difficult place to go. A three three draw before the game, you would have said absolutely no chances. It's not going to happen. Sheffield United haven't been scoring three that often. They haven't been conceding three at all. I remember after the game, I was kind of swept up in the 
the comeback and then the, the gutting blow of oh, the, the it's late equaliser. It's, it's cruelty, that. Yeah, but then you, you think about it the next day and I was recording my own podcast and thinking, well, what's what we really say in here apart from that was that was mental and it's that for most of that game apart from a, that brief burst of seven minutes the the tactics on show from the two managers were so different in terms of their complexity how well drilled their side was what they knew they were doing that what their game plan was and chris wilder sheffield united is is so much more significantly and well put together yeah then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's United. Yeah, this was an interesting question I wanted to put to you. Would any other Premier League team employ Solskjaer? So, it, and if not, is it enough to just be a club legend? Is it enough to be a legendary player of the club? Does that give you enough mm. clout to actually warrant being the manager? I think the thing with Solskjaer is there's a few factors that have come together that means, for me, he's currently the right manager for Manchester United to have. Okay. And... Those factors are the last five years of, of football United. So we've tried kind of someone cut from the same cloth as Alex Ferguson and David Moyes didn't work, was was terrible. Louis van Gaal came in, very experienced, has his philosophy, plays young players quite a lot, spends a bit of money but would try and build something in the club, didn't work, brilliant managers, won the Champions League in the past and, and done big things. Jose Mourinho, just the serial winner, probably if not the first and the second best manager of the last 10, 15 years, yeah. didn't work. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that the failures at the top of the football club that will not end in the next five years and will not end until people running the football club, so that's the Glazer family who own it and Ed Woodward, who's the executive vice chairman, their failures and their inabilities at the top of the football club mean that you need a manager who understands what is needed for the long term at, at Manchester United. Now Mourinho may have understood that, but he wasn't going to do it because his philosophy is, is to win and to do it in the short term. And he is, um, like almost every football manager on the planet, blatantly selfish and, and rightly so. The thing you feel with Solskjaer is he is the, the man that can at least go some way to combating against, to kind of neutralising the weaknesses at the top of the football club because he knows That's what Manchester point. United is about. Yeah. He can expose their weaknesses. He can himself kind of, even if the people at the top of the club aren't going to kind of um, allow this revolution in terms of what happens, where the money is spent, what we do with the, the football ground, what we do with the training ground, Solskjaer can start his own kind of internal revolution of we're going to sign three young British players in the, in the transfer window. We're going to take 16 academy graduates to Kazakhstan for Europa League game. That Those little things are changing the way that United is run and how things go at United. So that's what makes him the right man. As a football manager, there's no way he's Manchester United manager standard. No. He's not Alex Ferguson. He's not David Moyes. He's not Van Gaal or Mourinho. Mm. He's nowhere near as good as any of those managers. Okay, but to, to, to do that kind of internal revolution and to, to speak to neutralising um, the negativity of the board and the people actually in charge of the club, I think that's a really good point. Do you have to be an ex-player? Why doesn't Mauricio Pochettino, for example,'s values of bringing full, bringing through young players um, and attacking Sams with bombing fullbacks, mm. um, why doesn't that count as being able to um, kind of build that kind of internal revolution in the football club? Why do you need to be an ex-player? I don't think you do. Um, I think Pochettino is the best manager United could get, apart from Solskjaer at the moment. I think he's probably the best manager United could get 
Okay, re- so forget so, Solskjaer. So you're so you're Ed Woodward. You're Ed Woodward. What are you doing right now? Are you keeping Solskjaer till the end of the season, then employing Poch? Yeah, yeah. I think there's no question that you you put your faith in Solskjaer till the end of the season. And to be honest, I think you don't make any decision now. You wait until the end. You probably go to Mauricio Pochettino and say, you send out someone. And I think Manchester United actually did this in the summer. Um, they sent a, a United representative out and met Mauricio Pochettino on a motorway at a service station and said, would you be interested? And I think the I assume the answer was yes. Uh, that was a report in in the Athletic. Um, that's the kind of thing you'd do. You you'd find out whether Pochettino is interested in coming to United, okay. and not only that, but you find out would he choose United over Bayern Munich, over Real Madrid, over Paris Saint Germain, Juventus. You will he choose United? Will he choose this project over someone else? Um, but you don't you don't say do you want to come? You don't directly approach him and say because that's that's not putting the face in Solskjaer. And I think on the pitch. You could certainly argue, and a lot of United fans would argue, that Solskjaer hasn't shown any reason to put the faith in him. But the things he's doing behind the scenes, the way he's changed the mood of the club, even when we're losing, um, even when we have bad results, you go to Old Trafford and there's definitely a different feeling about it than there is under Mourinho, under Van Gaal, because there's this kind of acceptance from match-going United fans that even if we're not doing it quick enough, even if we're not quite on the correct road to success... We're at least nearer that road, yeah, um, and we're at least going a little bit further forward than we were under Marino van Gaal when we're yeah. certainly going backwards. Man, it's tough to have that kind of patience right now, though. <laughs> Liverpool and City high yeah. fly, isn't it? It's is tough. If I was Ed Woodward, I would be sitting there thinking, "I've messed up. I should never have given Solskjaer that permanent contract when I did, which was March 2019." Um, and the win against Paris Saint-Germain kind of encouraged it to happen and as a United fan then I was saying well yeah absolutely give it to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer but oh same yeah yeah but the the point of of being the person who runs a football club is you take that hard decision you're detached from the emotion supposedly that kind of like thing where you're swept up after a game I mean that PSG win was unreal of course you're going to be making irrational decisions as a fan you have to you have to have some sense of foresight and think well actually there's we said when we appointed him we wouldn't make a decision until the end of it why why go back on that and the thing with Ed Wood I actually think is he's far too caught up in the emotion of, of Manchester United. And a lot of United fans will say, oh, he doesn't care about the club. I, I genuinely think he's, he's overly emotional about Manchester United and that that kind of night, because he, he might not be your classic football fan, but I think he does get swept up in the kind of emotion you get when you beat Paris Saint-Germain 3-1 with a late penalty. Mm. And he would have seen Solskjaer going into the dressing room after that game with Cantona and Alex Ferguson holding their fists up in celebration and thought, well, this is it. Like I've, I've found the perfect man. We've got 17 wins in a row or whatever. Why would you not? But he's got to see that force. So his mistake goes back to then. Now, if I was saying, wait until the end of the season, make yeah. a decision then. I mean, Edward Wood's mistakes stretch far beyond yeah. March 20, 20, uh, 2019. But yeah. Um, Excellent point. Right, now moving on to something I want to talk to you about, because I know you follow the United Academy closely, and I want to talk a bit about the academy structures in the Premier League. Um, Chelsea and United have quite similar setups right now, where they have ex-players in charge, Lampard and um, Scholzkopf, people who the fans absolutely adore, and they're building through a young English core of academy players. Uh, Chelsea slightly more successfully right now, but uh, United definitely have a good crop of players. We saw in the game that we were just talking about, 
Brandon Williams, Mason Greenwood, and Marcus Rashford, all under 22, all academy graduates, um, getting on the score sheet. It's nice to see, uh, but ultimately, look, this is a results business, and there's only so long that you can kind of be satisfied as a United fan yeah. of not being in the title race. Do you think it's realistic, do you think it's viable that a really academy-centred team with, let's say, more than half of the starting 11 academy graduates can compete with the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool who have bought players across their squad, the best players in the world, and have assembled these insane squad, which are like 95-point yeah. monsters. They get so many points. They win every week. Is it possible to have an academy team like Chelsea's and United's which can compete with that? Probably not. No? No. But I think the the point for Lampard obviously wants to... Lampard himself was brought through the West Ham youth system and then brought yeah. through as a young player at Chelsea. I think he, he genuinely wants to bring through these players like Mason Mount and Rhys James um, and Fakai Tomori and a few others. I think Solskjaer United feels the same as that the, the Manchester United club, we're, on December the 15th when United play Everton, it will be the 4,000th consecutive game where United have had an academy graduate in the matchday squad. That record goes back to, I think it's October 1937. Wow. So there are some clubs that say we, we bring young players through and there are other clubs like Manchester United and Ajax and potentially Barcelona as well whose entire success has been built off the back of players who have come through their own academy. Yeah, and so, you'd love to see it as a fan as well. Yeah, and it's it's probably the thing that United should be ahead of the, the success of, of anything that Alex Ferguson achieved. The the core of that, the, the brilliance of that, and the pride of that comes from having academy players in the team. And, and any successful United team you ever look at, so, so Matt Busby's first trophy in, in 48 he won the FA Cup I think there were nine academy players in the side Right. then when he goes on to, to win throughout the 50s United win five consecutive FA Youth Cups loads of youth players in the side Munich air crash happens how do United recover well they bring more players from their youth academy Yeah. and that's why you get certain other players becoming greats at Manchester United Bobby Charlton survives the Munich air crash goes on to become a legend George Best is the same uh, Johnny Giles there were, there were loads of, of players like that so then Samat's success in 68 United's first European Cup loads of academy players Yeah, and there's a few signings like Dennis Law Alex Stepney came from Chelsea the, the goalkeeper but Brian Kidd so Bobby Charlton George Best um, all of these players have come from the academy and then even in that period between Samat Busby and Alex Ferguson United's success again comes from these academy players, Norman Whiteside, and not just and Norman Whiteside was probably the best in that time, but all the others in between who were forming four or five, six players out that starting eleven, who aren't the best players in the team, who aren't the best players in the world, but they, that's how United ran themselves. Yeah. And then Fergie comes in, you get the class of ninety two and ninety nine. The two thousand eight Champions League final is probably the next point to look at. You've got Wes Brown, John O'Shea, Darren Fletcher, yeah. um, the Raphael, the the Silver Brothers, Raphael yeah, yeah, yeah. and Fabio, beginning to come through. Um, and after that you've got Danny Welbeck, Tom Cleverley, um, those kind of players. So United's success and pride is built on these academy players, so it doesn't matter necessarily if United win the league with them, but it's kind of a responsibility. I think United have a duty to these players to bring them through, and Mason Greenwood is good enough to play for Manchester United oh, in the future. He is, he's the one, I keep saying this, he's the one I'm most excited yeah. about. Of the, of the, I think he's a cold-blood finisher. I'm yeah. really looking forward and to seeing I, him grow. I think he will be Manchester United striker in the future. 
I guess I see it kind of more as like two phases. When you're kind of yeah. resetting in the way that Chelsea and United are, you go for this very young, youth-centric team. Yeah. <clears throat> but then as those guys start to mature and start to improve and you start to get closer and closer, that's when it's important to bring in the best international talent in the transfer yeah. window to make a genuine title bid. And that's what Ferguson did. It wasn't all about the academy. It was centred and based around the academy. But then he would also spend money, big money, bringing in the best talent from around Europe to just plug in those holes and build the size yeah. of the squad. And I see Scholzgar's project over the next five years well, United's project over the next five years as having a similar model. Yeah, well, I think that's what he's trying to do. I think it's it's different because when Ferguson came to United in 86, kind of United's youth system was fine, but it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't that good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he got people like Eric Harrison to suddenly start scouting a ridiculous amount and, and finding the class of 92. Um, so it took him a while. When Solskjaer's come in, and, and luckily, to be honest, because it, it comes from the work of the last few years, which is one thing that, that Ed Woodward has got right, is investing in the academy, um, has been blessed with this just ridiculous crop of talent. Um, and English football is seeing it at quite a few clubs at the moment, but United particularly, Chelsea have, have had it and they've still got some really good ones coming through. So he's got this set of talent and I think he sees it, whether he's going to be manager or not in five years' time, he sees it his his job, and this goes back to my point earlier about Solskjaer being the right man because he's kind of doing what's right for United rather than what's right for himself. Where it's it's a negative is that United are relying on these young players, and Chelsea are doing so in a similar way, but the the players they're bringing through are older and have had loan moves. Where United are relying on Mason Greenwood to be backup, on Brandon Williams to be the starter, yeah. on James Garner to be the basic at the moment because of injuries, the third choice midfielder. The the best Ferguson teams was when I mean Wes Brown was in the the ninety nine treble squad. Yeah, he, he didn't become a first team player until two thousand five. Yeah, because that that was how the progression was made. And when Neville, Giggs, Beckham, all of that lot, the two Nevilles, but Skulls, whoever were coming into the team, they were surrounded by Roy Keane signed in ninety two, Cantona signed in ninety two, yeah. Kanchelskis had come in. Um, yeah. That's the difference. Absolutely, no. It's going to be an interesting time for Solskjaer and United as we move forward. Um, just moving quickly and briefly on to Arsenal, I just want to touch on Emery. I mean, there's a litany of problems going on at Arsenal right now. Um, I don't want your, I want to know what your thoughts are, but it just all seems like a very odd situation to me in a lot of ways. You don't see this kind of thing a lot. First of all, they gave him a two-year contract, which was very yeah. short for the first contract given to a manager um, in their tenure, which would mean that this season would be kind of riddled with question marks over his future anyway, no matter how he was doing, unless he was absolutely acing it. Um, but then a whole other like uh, range of things which have just been just appeared really odd to me. Uh, he doesn't know his best starting eleven. I've never seen a manager change their midfield and change their back four so often. Yeah. He continually changes his midfield, not just the personnel, but each person's role in that midfield. We've seen Torreira going further forward. It's all been really strange. Um, how in 18 months you can't find your best midfield <laughs> is very poor, I think. That also links to the problems he's had with controlling his players. Koscielny, um, with that yeah. weird 
thing that he did when he went to Rennes where he took off his top uh, almost despite the manager and refusing to go on the plane to LA in their pre-season that coupled with Xhaka's storming off incredibly disrespectful incredibly bad look for the manager um, and these issues all refer to the relationship between him and his players which as we've seen with Klopp and Pep is so important in building a modern team a modern yeah. team to be successful um, and Again, to add to the oddities, the last-minute equaliser against Southampton. You're at home to Southampton, it's 2-2, Lacazette scores. <laughs> Doesn't move a muscle, there's no emotion on his face. You would normally go and run, get the ball out of the net and run back. There was none of that. Does he have a problem with the relationship with his players? I, th I, I think there's certainly elements of that. Um, but I think th there must be... There's other issues at Arsenal that, that, that don't relate to the relationship because... There's obviously a concern with how how he's getting on with players, at how he can control the players, and the, 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 he has to control the relationship between the players and the fans, and that's not really something that any other football manager has to do. And I think that's not unique to Arsenal, but is a consequence of the Arsenal fan base over the last 15 years. Um, they were they were kind of bred to to expect success, and I think actually. Whereas United fans and, and people at other clubs as well have had success through Sir Alex Ferguson and then he's left and, and the success has stopped, I think that's kind of easier to, to take. Whereas Arsenal fans had this problem where they, had, they were the Invincibles, then they won the FA Cup, then they lost in the Champions League final and then everything just stopped happening. Yeah. They, they would be first until January and then go. And they still had the same manager for another 10 years. So having grown up around Arsenal fans, it's just you've got the same person who made you so great for a decade and for the next decade nothing really happened. Yeah. You won a few FA Cups and that those would all be would all be brilliant days, but looking back at the season, do you remember it that well? Do you remember that fondly? No. So I think that's what makes the Arsenal fan base different is that they've had to deal with success with the same manager and then failure with the same manager for ten years as well. Whereas United yeah. was there was a cut off point. Arsenal it was like hold on, what's going on? Who are we blaming? We're blaming the board. So when a new manager comes in, you kind of remember this fondness for Arsene Wenger. Henry said in his press conference before the Europa League tied, um, first we need to connect with them um, and show them. Uh, in terms of, he was asked about um, how do we get the fans on side. He said, first yeah. we need to connect with them and then show them. And I had found that wording, I mean, you've always got to take it with a pinch of salt when English isn't their first manager, yeah, but first we thing. need to is in implying that they ha he hasn't managed to already as in yeah. he hasn't managed in 18 months to connect with the fans uh, for me that is just not good i see the relationship between manager and players players and fans and all of that wrapped into one and i think it's the core of success at a club if he hasn't managed to do that in 18 months for me he hasn't deserved his new co a new contract and the obviously the over the kind of, kind of looming question is if he's not going to get a new contract and if he's not going to come back, who would be the person to replace him? What do you yeah. think Arsenal should do? Where do you think they should turn next? There's, I mean, there's been talk about Nuno, but that, I was about to mention Nuno among others. You, the, I've just got the, the top six of the Premier League up. All six of those teams have that connection, have that kind of triangle of links between players, fans and manager that yeah. is, is succeeding. Arsenal just don't really have that. And I think there's some connection there with 
with half of the fan base with someone like Hector Bellerin who speaks for a lot of the fan base and then the other half of the fan base hate him because he's outspoken against someone like Arsenal Fan TV yeah um, where should Arsenal go next um, Nuno's been mentioned at Wolves mm. I think that's uh, that'd be an interesting one but I don't necessarily think Arsenal's squad is that much better than Wolves I think there are certainly as as individuals someone like Aubameyang Lacazette are better than Wolves are strikers uh, Danny Ceballos I think he's a really talented midfielder and Arsenal should try keep him and, and develop him at the end of the season when his loan expires Yeah. so Arsenal have some really good individuals in attack but as a squad it's not very balanced and that's a failure of, of Wenger initially then the owners and also they've got quite like their, their best players are all quite old like their yeah. blue chip talent is kind of like Aubameyang Lacazette um, Ozil to a lesser extent even though he's fallen out with Emery a bit but those yeah. kind of outstanding players individuals you think of are 29 and over so yeah. it is worrying times for Arsenal fans so I think if Nuno comes in I don't know if you'd expect him to do any better than he's done at Wolves and what he's done at Wolves is is well they've come up from the championship spent a huge amount of money they are the Manchester City of, of the championship yeah they've basically they basically bought that league and they did so in a really entertaining way they yeah. bought good players they bought young players um, and the connection was there so yeah. it was fun to watch but you, you can't get around that. At Arsenal, with a squad, if not the same, then maybe slightly better. Yeah. Is he going to do that much more than be fifth, sixth, beat, yeah. some, beat the big clubs? Because that's what Wolves have done. They've, they've taken points, especially last season, off City United, of every top six side, actually. And then have embarrassing defeats to teams that Arsenal currently lose to. Yeah. Burnley, Bournemouth, Palace, Brighton, whoever, Southampton. Yeah. So... I don't know if the improvement's going to be there that much. Yeah, so, yeah. who do Arsenal bring in? Well, it's a really difficult one. Do they suddenly reset again? Because United have had this problem where Moises failed, so they've reset again with Van Gaal. Van Gaal's yeah. failed, so they've reset. Or they need to start looking at something longer term that they can set and bring the manager in to suit that. Because yeah. if they set a project where they think, oh, Nuno's a good fit for that, even if he fails, we can bring in this person. Yeah. I find it really interesting you you mentioned you know actually because one thing I always notice about Wolves is whenever they score a goal their whole touch like their whole touchline yeah. kind of come into a nice big cuddle and there is that really like we're building something here feeling around yeah. Wolves you thrashed Arsenal last season yeah um, so you know that would be an interesting conversation I just want to um, move on to um, Brendan Rodgers and Leicester another team in the Midlands another team doing very well and. Part of the reason why Emery and Scholes give me time, I don't want to say excuses, that feels yeah. a bit harsh, but give me time, plea, is falling on relatively deaf ears in the fan base is because Brendan Rodgers has come into Leicester yeah. and they are absolutely rolling. Um, I want to throw some numbers um, at you um, disregarding Leicester because it is really impressive. Six wins in a row for them, um, including the 9-1 win at Southampton, the record equaling 9-1 win. This season, they have scored 31 goals in the Premier League, which is second most. Vardy has scored 12 goals, which is first. Yeah. Uh, Harvey Barnes has got four assists, which is joint second. And um, the team has got six clean sheets, which is first. I mean... They are really back to front, a very, very good team. How has Brendan Rodgers managed to get them to that place so quickly? I think, firstly, they had a, a really good squad. Um, I think... But but would you have said they're any better than um, Arsenal, Tottenham, 
uh, Chelsea's squad before the season, or would you say before, it now yeah. having seen them play? No, I think I think if you look at Les- the, the kind of the way Leicester have evolved from the team that won the title, everything they've done has been right. And they've had some tricky bits where they've kind of fallen into mid-table. They've had some. They've had to sack the manager who won them the title. They've had to sack other managers. And under um, under Claude Puel, they were a really boring team to watch. But the players were there. And I think it again the same thing I said about Solskjaer earlier. There's a few factors that make it. The same is true with Leicester and Brendan Rodgers. Is that they've got really good players who have stuck through them through the bad times, kind of through a sense of loyalty. So someone like Jamie Vardy. Leicester have given him his chance that he'd won the league there yeah. he could have gone to Arsenal, Arsenal yeah. um, he said it was the easiest decision he's ever made yeah, <laughs> but I think that, yeah uh, it would be for me as well but, um, I think there's there's that sense of loyalty at Leicester and then when you get the, the tragedy of last year with their owner dying in the helicopter crash it's awful. that is kind of bumped up a little bit more the unity of the football club the unity of the city this is a one club football city Um Leicester so you've got this unity of the city of the fans of the players coming together even closer and then you add a really good manager in Brendan Rodgers who at Liverpool the job was too big for him but has worked under some of the best managers in the world did really well at Liverpool clearly makes his teams play really exciting football and if they're good enough really effective football yeah but probably isn't the right fit for Manchester United City Liverpool and you did see that Liverpool is that he couldn't necessarily manage everything that was going on he got club. close though he got very close he got close but he couldn't do it so well that you could say the same about Klopp so far he won the Champions League he did win the Champions League <laughs> so come up against the greatest Manchester City side of all time and one of the best Premier League teams but he's had a lot more invested into his Liverpool squad than yeah, Rodgers ever did enough. Um, but I think you there's loads of factors at Leicester and it also goes down to their recruitment of players like they put their faith in Yuri Tiermans and then signed him. And then they, they didn't get him on loan and think, all right, he's too much for us now. They just thought, we've seen him play. We know how good he is. We'll spend the money. Yeah. And they've got a lot of money because... But it was only £35 million for him. I mean, coming yeah. as a United fan, I mean, that's peanuts for a midfielder. But they've also got that thing where they don't need any big-name signings. <laughs> they, yeah. haven't gone f- they haven't gone for Bamiyang or Lacazette or Paul Pogba or Lukaku. Yeah. Or anyone like that. Yeah. Or even they haven't gone for Harry Maguire when he's current Harry Maguire. They've gone for him when he's coming from Harlot twelve million for a decent fee um, mm. and could improve. So that's the difference is that they're building a team and they're very dedicated to and committed to building that team. And they haven't got Steve Walsh anymore, who found them Kante and and Mares and Vardy. But that's the quality that goes through Leicester. So that squad has been together for a long time. It's a very consistent one where yeah. you've got the, the core of Vardy and a few others and you add that really young talent and really exciting and then Rodgers is a really good manager as well. Yeah. Um, so um, how how high up can they finish this season then? Hopefully top. <laughs> I'd love me it. from the pain of, of I Liverpool would and love City. It. Um, I mean, they've been ruled out of that race once before. Yeah. Everyone lived to regret that. I think... It yeah. must, it's a bit different this season though, surely. It's different because Liverpool are just ridiculously good. Ridiculously um, lucky in the last five minutes of matches as well. I, as a, as Manchester United fans have benefited from the so-called luck of of last-minute equalisers. Listen, I don't know who is in Stockley Park and <laughs> why they're so alleged to Liverpool, but my goodness. And this is the thing: if Liverpool don't win it this year, I've got no idea when they'll win it because yeah. they are currently possibly the best team in the world. Mm. Oh, they're don't certainly say it. the best team in England. Don't say it. They're European champions, and they could easily do a double. Oh. 
and they still haven't lost and I think they will lose at some point but they are so good so can Leicester challenge them and win the Premier League title I think it's unlikely because they haven't got the, the depth they haven't got the quality players like Sadio Mane in particular yeah. who can get them out of that trouble how sweet how sweet would it be for Brendan Rodgers to topple Liverpool in a title race it would be Utterly it would be one of for clock. the best clock. Prim- even as a United fan and even if we we will finish possibly outside the top six it would be so good it would be so good because also this Leicester um, they've spent some money but not kind of unfairly they've they've spent their own money they've sold players like Riyad Mahrez and, and Harry Maguire and reinvested that no, it'd be they're amazing. really fun to watch it'd be amazing. and they've got apart from some questionable things that some of their players have done in the past they've got quite a likeable squad Yeah. so not just out of their hatred for Liverpool it would be amazing will they do it no, no. Um, Liverpool are too good and I think City will once they get Laporte back from injury and, yeah. and a couple of others will start to make up ground Foxes never quit come on the Foxes <laughs> excellent chat I love a good football chat thanks again for coming on Harry that was Absolutely great no worries. do you have any socials or any of your stuff you want to just shout out uh, you can follow me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64 and that's about it you can find anything else I do on there if you yeah. really want to yeah you can find everything else um, on his Twitter feed um, definitely check that out also remember at MarleyGUSU on Twitter for the associated content around Get Up Speak Up as well as um, various bits of analysis and commentary um, thanks so much for listening as always and catch you next time on Get Up Speak Up Thank you.